For our second hour, we are getting into a conversation about uh, women and, uh, well, from the woman's perspective. And our woman for tonight is Ms. Makoma Likalakala joining us to give us some perspective on how she views our world today. Women's views on our world today is our feature, and we do have her joining us on the line. Ms. Makoma Likalakala joined Natural Justice as a board member in June 2019. Makoma is the director of Earth Life Africa, a civil society, environmental justice, and anti-nuclear organization. She has long been active in social movements, tackling issues from gender and women's rights, social economic and environmental justice issues. In recent years, Magoma has focused on targeting environmental corruption. Her commitment to climate justice in South Africa has led civil society to win the first South African climate change legal case against the government and the reversal of the nuclear deal by South Africa and the Russian government. For her efforts, she received the Goldman Environment Prize for Africa 2018 Award and SAB Environmentalist of the Year 2018 Award. Makoma has her roots as a liberation fighter and is a strong campaigner for a just and fair society. She joins us on the line. Good evening to you, madam. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening and good evening for hosting me. I'm looking at the variety of topics that you uh, deal with here. Uh, women's rights, social, economic and environmental justice issues. Uh, we have a, a lot to talk about, you and I. But first and foremost, um, we do know for a fact that uh, uh, the, the President of the United States, President Donald Trump, does not really believe in climate change. If he were to be listening, what would you tell him to convince him? I think I would quote the words of Amilcar Cabral when he said that you must fight that you must remember that people do not fight for ideas or for things on other people's minds. People fight for peace, for living in better peace and for their children's future. And that freedom and equality continue to be empty words if people do not mean a real improvement of people's lives. And um, I think that encompasses um, what um, one should uh, look forward to, particularly those denialists. Because if you are a denialist, um, I think you're putting um, the world in a very, very difficult situation. And uh, we don't expect from such people particularly of um, the kind of leadership positions that they hold. That means that um, the way they be they, not acting morally and their leadership lacks ethics. So the kind of people like him actually are putting the whole globe into serious, serious problems because they're just thinking about themselves and not about the future generations. What is the greatest piece of evidence that supports uh, the legitimacy of the claim that our climate is changing or has changed? Mm -hmm. I think me and you have, uh, we grew up listening to um, what we would call fables, uh, stories um, about nature. And, um, and from that, we understand that um, there's so much 
different from the era when those fables were developed and uh, today's world. Um, the other thing is um, food is very expensive and uh, we're eating the kind of food which is not natural, which is not organic. And so that tells us that there's a lot changing, the weather patterns are changing. Um, we find ourselves in a situation where people cannot even breathe. And that tells us that uh, we are in a crisis. And us being in a crisis, to look any further, we look around ourselves. If Mopani um, worms, we can no longer get the quality of Mopani worms that we used to eat as young children. If um, we cannot have the quality of Murula that we have, and the women cannot even harvest that, that tells us there's a lot that is changing around us, and uh, that is alarming, and um, we have to do something. So there's a lot around us, we don't have to look even further, that is changing continuously. For the mere fact that we have our river streams are drying up, that tells us there's something wrong around us, and uh, we need to do something, we need to act. Let's segue nicely into the issue of food security. When we speak of food security, it would appear as though not many Africans in South Africa participate in this drive to first manufacture food. And and their greatest argument is because we don't have any land. We're not farmers. That's why food security is mainly and largely in the hands of farmers who are not Africans, who are not black. And uh, this is a big issue for them. But is this true in your view? Is it true that first and foremost, we are not participating in food security in our continent, in our country, in southern Africa, purely because we don't have land? I think historically we as um, people in the Southern African region um, have been participating in our food security for quite a long time. The unfortunate part is that the Southern African region is uh, one of the driest areas um, in, in Africa and other, uh, compared to other parts also of the world. And um, we should remember that we have built on South Africa. We have dried food, and this is the food that originated from from mainly South Africa. And um, besides all the others that can find in the other parts of the world, so it means that we have been participating in food security. But unfortunately, as development uh, uh, progresses, we find that our food has been commercialized, and um, people um, have been kind of conditioned that the food that comes from your pick and pay, your chain stores, it's the quality food. But I must say that different areas in South Africa you find particularly women um, doing small scale farming uh, for food security and um, this food that they do is organic, it's not genetically modified like your one day chicken or your one day cabbage or whatever. And um, I think we are, the only thing that we, I think we need it's kind of a mindset change that uh, we should believe in what we can be able to produce rather than what we buy which is important from other uh, countries, other continents, and uh, which is not uh, good also for our own intake. Um, I think food for me is uh, the basis of also uh, complementing our life 
and we need to also to be careful of what we eat, but more. Um, I think um, we have participated for quite a long time in food security, and that is why there has been a drive, particularly by 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 women who have been saying that uh, we cannot allow uh, this commercialization of our food and also um, food that is genetically modified. So it has been our forte, and we need to reclaim it. And if we don't reclaim it, um, nobody's going to do that for us. But I'm glad that. Uh, millions also of uh, thousands of young people that have also joined the movement for food security <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm just reading a text here your profile says you you have your roots as a liberation fighter uh, do tell us a bit about that okay i grew up in Soweto. um I'm an activist, and um, I was influenced particularly by the June 16 movement. And that is the movement that um, have uh, motivated me, the movement that has given me hope and courage to say, if something is not right, make it right yourself. Don't wait for another person. So being a young person, I was part of youth groups. Um, I joined the labor movement at an early age, and then I decided that I would make activism because of my passion uh, to protect women's rights, that this would what I would dedicate myself to do for the rest of my life. Okay. Uh, do you do you do you do you believe that um, women and uh, by by women I mean all kinds uh, of women, uh, even those that do not identify their sexuality as women, do you believe that they should be treated the same way as men? I believe in an egalitarian society. It is just unfortunate that uh, there has been influences that have made um, um, divisions amongst ourselves. And um, as an African raised in African traditional way or cultural way, um, from where one originates like your great-great-grandfathers, I know that um, women were highly respected. And um, in many a times, decisions would be taken by women and men would pronounce them. And what we need to do is just move away from seeing each other as different. All what we need to espouse is that we are all of the human race and we should be equal. And, and, and egalitarianism has been criticized to be a very uh, uh, utopian facade for, 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 for intellectualism because uh, as things stand, there can never be any equality between men and women. Men ha- are at a disadvantage because they could never carry a baby. Uh, surely uh, egalitarianism is, is, is a false, false uh, uh, theory, don't you think? I don't think so. Um, by that I mean that we all are equal before the law. And um, as, 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 as a part of the human race, we all have different responsibilities and that complement each other. So that's what I would 
uh, I describe as an egalitarian uh, society. I understand um, what you, what you mean. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. the, the concept outside of your uh, permutations and and your way of of translating it, but the the clinical definition of a of, of an egalitarian society is one that is based on the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. And I'm suggesting mm-hmm. that that is not possible because men are already at a disadvantage by by virtue of being able to give birth i think it's possible to treat each other that way um i remember when i started talking i quoted amilka cabral and um i think one thing that we need to not really kind find um use this kind of terms as the the terms that would divide us because most of the terms have come up as a form of supporting a system that has um, divided us, a system that has been placed upon us. And that system is a system that perpetuates um, repression, oppression, and exploitation. So sometimes we loosely talk, say or mention or talk about this thing, but at the end of the day, you find that um, there's a lot of misinterpretation because we have different views of what we understand. But that some of the terms uh, originate from that system that um, uh, is very oppressive and exploitative, and the system continuously divides us. And that's what we need to tackle. We're going to take a break and come back. We're going to come back and we'll continue our conversation with our woman for our segment. And we are learning her from her views, her perspectives. Women's views on our world today continues after this. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Ms. Marco Malikalangala joins us on the line to talk to us and uh, give us her views on a number of issues and that's our feature celebrating women and just talking to them about their views engaging them on their views and 0891104207 if you want other people who would like to join in the conversation engage her and ask her about anything you can do so 0891104207089114207 there is a situation in our country that is slowly slowly uh, gaining momentum this uh, issue of black on black violence whether you want to call it xenophobia um, at, at, at some point it was uh, this ANC um, Inkata problem and then it was proven that it was not an ANC and Inkata problem it was sheer black on black violence and now it is uh, presenting itself as uh, foreigner versus South African violence and then there was uh, a taxi driver against another taxi driver violence there is this progressing movement of black on black violence what do you think is causing that i think um we we at different contexts uh in the early late 1980s early 90s it was a different context from the context that we are in today um more around the 80s early 90s it was more politically motivated and um, we know that they, it was confirmed that there was a third force behind um, that kind of um, hatred or violence amongst ourselves. So that's a different context, and we know that 
it was the state force, it was um, um, identified that uh, it was those who were wanting to, not for us to have freedom, that were foiling that. But the current um, context, we also need to understand that uh, there's a context that is faced by economic difficulties. And then um, it's also partly as a resultant of climate change. We see people moving from different countries that have been hard hit by your cyclones, by your hurricanes, and uh, people are moving out to moving to areas where they would feel much safer. Not all of them, obviously, people came because they are economic migrants. Others came uh, because they are um, um, they were faced with disasters. Others came because they are economic migrants. And I think because of the gap between the poor and the rich that is widening every day, that's also what causes frustration. And amongst people, maybe this is part of where the problem is that we should look deeper into. But however, this is something that I don't condone and um, I hate it. I don't like it particularly that it's um, uh, Africans fighting amongst each other and it's also people who would um, come from poor countries, uh, particularly south, um, the global south countries that we find our uh, people fighting amongst each other. And this is something that I think needs to be tackled very soon because um, the other thing you find that there's agent provocateurs like the context of the 80s. So if people say people are fighting each other, there's xenophobic attacks, we should also look into whether there's any Asian profiteers. But also I think we need to get much more um, informed about the situation in different countries. If you know people came from Mozambique, remember in Mozambique it's not the first time there, there were floods some few years ago and they were hard hit now by... Um, a cyclone, and people come from Zimbabwe, we know there's been political instability. People come from countries like the DRC, there's been a war waging um, for so many years, and it's just unfortunate that uh, this is not highlighted, and this is a country where we get much of uh, the minerals that we so much need for our technology. Um, I think something needs to be done for Africans to come together and say no to xenophobia. We've done that um, around 2008 when uh, xenophobic attacks um, reared their heads and said this cannot happen. We need to integrate, understand each other where we come from so that we can resolve the problem. Um, I think the leadership that uh, is trying also to resolve the issues um, need to check also is there any agent provocateurs because uh, brother and sister or brother and brother, sister and sister cannot continually, continually fight each other. There should be reasons and the root causes of um, that should be looked into and uh, that's what we need to address. The, the last time um, we saw uh, a blatant and overt and uh, very patent uh, violence between white and white was when during the Anglo Boer War in 1902. But ever since then, we have never seen or ever heard of anything called white on white violence. But uh, in spite of the various contexts that you've just outlined right now and the possible 
agent provocateurs, as you just suggested. Still, we are so easily pliable to become violent one on another, one against another. Why? That's my curiosity. Why is it that these contexts easily take root amongst us, and yet uh, we don't see, quite frankly? Um, I, I, I don't know if there is such a, t- a phrase such as white-on-white violence globally. That's my curiosity. In spite of, I, I totally agree, I'm not disputing the possibility of what you're saying being true, uh, but surely there must be something that is allowing us to be so easily pliable in the hands of these third forces or agents provocateurs. The material conditions start to be fine that so, uh, so living under, I think, vulnerable. Uh, and uh, that is why we easy pray, easy target for this kind of action. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to the issue of, of, of sexuality. We have seen South Africa being very uncomfortable with the proliferation of, of, of sexual content. What is your take on uh, sexual content, whether it is in education, in entertainment, in religion, in academia, and in society in general? What, what is your take on the proliferation of sexual content? Um. In the Constitution, the Bill of Rights of the Republic of South Africa, um, we have um, sections that talk about the freedom of expression and also sections that speak about the respect and um, that no one can be discriminated against in South Africa. But however, I think some of the divisions or what you prefer to live your life as would be informed by your own... Um, um, religious belief, your own um, traditional upbringing or cultural upbringing, and um, I know this was kind of a controversial issue, but I think that the reason the um, uh, the film and publication board was specifically to ensure that um, no other class can write. Uh, rights, people's rights are being violated, so there should be kind of uh, a confinement, there should be laws guiding what should be publicly out there and not there, which I think um, somehow it has also brought some uncomfortability to people, but um, really it depends on your uh, religious, traditional and cultural beliefs as to what do you find comfortable and uncomfortable. All right. We're going to leave our conversation right there. Makoma Likalakara, thank you very much for coming through and talking to us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's now 29 minutes before midnight. You're listening to The Headspace. Now time for you to set the agenda. The lines are open. It's the open line.